Davis, Harry Jim. Wednesday, 2.30, they're expecting Sam Allen, who's the backstop from Stone. Tuesday, uh, Bible study, uh, physically here, and Tuesday, Tuesday, Sunday, God willing, that'll be the Tuesday. Let's stand. Again, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of evening worship, and being able to come out of a Sunday night want to worship the great God of heaven, and to have fellowship, <coughs> we want to listen to your word being read and proclaimed. So Lord, we pray that you'd be gracious to us as we seek to draw near to you, and oh Lord, draw near to us, and have glory to your great name, all in the Lord Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. Amen. First hymn. Worship and praise, number 29, 29, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, bow down before him, his glory proclaim, gold of obedience and incense of lowliness, kneel and adore him, the Lord is his name, number 29.
Um, let's bow our heads in prayer. Our gracious God, we come before you to worship you because, O oh Lord, you are worthy of our praise and adoration. You are worthy of all that we can offer and much more. We're conscious of this. We come and we sing our hymns and we say our prayers and yet we feel, Lord, sometimes you deserve so much more that our singing could be better, not in the vocal sense, but that there should be more praise coming from our hearts and uh, not just mere words from our lips. There should be a depth of our acknowledgement of God and who you are and what you are and what you are to your people. Often ask, O oh Lord, for help to worship and, and to mean the things we sing. They're not just words that we know and tunes that we know, and off we go and uh, for the hundredth time. Lord, we pray thee that you would help us in the quality of our worship and praise to God. Uh, not just in the in the sanctuary, in the temple, on the Lord's day, but day by day uh, in our private and devotions, that there should be this depth of, of worship and praise and, and just exalting your name and, and being a th grateful and a thankful people. We confess that we, we're not the best at this either. We're not the best at, at being thankful. We, we're quick to come and ask and present our petitions and that's right and proper because you commanded it in your word so it's quite lawful and, uh, and appropriate but sometimes we're just so slow to give thanks and praise and uh, and thank you for what you've you've heard our cries and you've met with us and you've dealt with us and blessed us in so many areas and we want again father to that to increase uh, to come before the lord with thanksgiving and, and to enter his gates with praise we want to be thankful in all things that we should do things all to all things without murmurings and disputings. That we should indeed be a grateful people. So we pray, Father, as we come to worship again tonight, that uh, there will be more of a depth in that worship as we come to your word in a little while. That we might be given understanding of it, and as, as oft we say, application of it. And we know so much, and yet we practice seemingly so little. Remember James saying that we should not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Help us to do that. Uh, to hear your word and say, yes, I must be like that. I must do that. I must respond like that. I must act like that. I must react like that. I must be more like uh, what the scriptures tell me to be and is expected of me as a child of God. So we thank you for temporal blessings and we thank you for good things and we praise you for your mercies. We thank you for seeing the folk here this morning, particularly the girls, and we pray for them. We pray for them, each one. Lord, you know them. You know their particular circumstances and who knows what lies before them. And we pray, Father, that your hand may be upon them for good. We could pray for all kinds of things for them, for their physical well-being. Uh, for their educational, uh, for their development, and a whole host of things. 
but our main concern, our big concern, is that they might know the Lord Jesus as Saviour and be useful in the kingdom of God. We pray for these little ones who are here. We pray for others uh, whom we have uh, ourselves, our children, grandchildren, even great-grandchildren perhaps. We pray for our families. Lord, you've given us families, and we're grateful for that. And we just feel a heavy responsibility that we should bring them before the throne of grace and say, Lord, have mercy upon them and bless them and keep them from gross evil and bless them in their little lives as they grow up. They're living in a world that is so perverse and corrupt. Uh, we thought it was bad enough when we were young, but it's 10, 20, 30, 100 times worse now. And they're going to have to live through that. They're going to have to hear this nonsense, this heresy, this depraved business in school. They're going to be taught things that are so contrary to your word and your will and creational order. Oh, have mercy upon them. Grant them discernment. We pray for others who have who, who concern it's not so much perhaps children, but perhaps sisters or brothers or other members of work, of other members of the family. Lord, just draw near to them. Grant them wisdom to know what to say, what not to say, what to do, what not to do. Uh, we need wisdom in these areas. Some are difficult. We confess uh, with Paul in, a, in another connection, we are not sufficient for these things. We need help. Gracious God, be gracious to your people in these things. And then we think of the spiritual need of our church and uh, our concerns for the future. We pray that you'd lead us aright in these matters. Uh, we don't want to do what we want to do if it's contrary to your will. But we do want to do what is your will. We ask that you'd lead us in that, in that direction, in the right direction. You'll open doors, you'll close doors as you see fit, that we might hear a voice behind us, as it were, saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. And he turned to the right or to the left. So we look to you for future days. We are so glad that the future of the church, this church and every church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is in his hand. And that encourages us because we know that he will do what he will do, which will be the best for his church and for his people. So we trust you. We trust you. Grant us that grace and that faith to trust you, uh, even when things seem impossible. So we pray for one another in this place and our concerns as a little body of Christ here. Uh, we pray for those that haven't seen for such a long time. We think of Betty and Jane and Zach. Lord, have mercy upon them. And others who are not with us, we go, dear Mavis, bless her there at the home. Little Ruth, we commit her to thee. Others, Father, that we're concerned about. Nice to see Brenda out. Uh, what a, a concern and a zeal she has. She loves to be here. She wants to be here. And uh, it's only because she's locked down and locked up or whatever that she's not with us so often. Bless her and others like her. We pray, Father, for our, our neighbours. Uh, so long time, many been antagonistic to the gospel. Have mercy upon them, we pray. Somehow, someway, break through there. We love to see one or two or more uh, come to a, a service here and hear the gospel 
and come into the kingdom. We pray for Hailsham as a whole and for the churches. Uh, we pray, Father, when there's a gospel witness, and you'll bless that witness. We're not all the same. But we pray that the gospel of the Lord Jesus might be clearly made known in this town and in Eastbourne and district. We pray for Sussex, a county that's known singly, singly been blessed in times past. And yet, alas, now seems to have such little gospel witness. Many places closing. Oh, Father, have mercy upon Sussex. We think of Brighton, allegedly the capital of the homosexual and lesbian and all the rest of the nonsense in the whole of Britain. What a sad title to have. How can they be proud of such a debased way of life and thinking? Well, have mercy upon Brighton. Have mercy upon uh, the whole south coast here. So much materialism in some ways and yet so little spiritual uh, depth and reality. Have mercy. Lord, we cry to you. In wrath, remember mercy. Uh, we think of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and, and you tell it, Abram, you can destroy it. And Abram pleading for the place. If there were 50 righteous, if there were 45 and 40 and so on, if there were 10, at last there wasn't even 10 righteous people in that city, and so it was destroyed. Please, Father, spare the cities of the south coast. In wrath, remember mercy, and may the repentance be brought to those in high office and low office and no office. Oh, Father, for your glory, for your honour, we do not revive your work in the midst of the years. So bless us. Tonight we pray, do us good for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Um, number 83, number 83, this is a hymn based on Psalm 40. If you're familiar with that, uh, not Psalm 40, Isaiah 40, and uh, you know the verses, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that firm remains and high, the everlasting throne of him who formed the earth and sky? Number 83.
cause of Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read the whole chapter from verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in, our, in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, death works in us, but life in you. We have in the same spirit of faith, according to it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us uh, up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, that the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. Our next hymn is 367, 367. Come, Holy Spirit, Heavenly Dove, 
with all thy quickening powers, kindle a flame of sacred love in these cold hearts of ours. I could never sing this hymn without thinking of Mr. Vernon Hyam from Cardiff, uh, who often quoted it, particularly verse 3. And shall we then forever live at this poor dying rate, our love so faint, so cold to thee, and thine to us so great. 367. Chapter 1, please. Second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Let's just bow our heads a moment. Again, Father, we thank you for your word, and again we ask for help to understand it and to apply it. And bless your word, which you providentially brought us to think about tonight, in this little place, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want us to continue looking at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 for the time being. And um, before I do so, I'm going to tell you my plans for June. God willing, in June, I'm going to uh, go to Bala Ministers Conference. On the way down, I will stay with some friends in Bridgend, stay the night, and then go up to Bala and have uh, two and a half days there. When I'm in Bala, I'm going to cross to Oswald Street to visit the widow of an elder in our church, a young widow. You remember him and the three boys, see them. Going back then to Philip Eveson's house to stay the night. 
And then I'm off to see some friends in Liverpool. I'll stay there the night. And cross over to York. Stay with a friend there for the night. And then see my daughter, Rachel, and the three children. Family there and husband. And then come home from there. They say, oh, that's very nice. We're interested. What on earth has that to do with anything? Well, I will tell you. I will tell you of its relevance to the passage we have. Wait and see. Now, just to remind you, all right, that Paul, is, this is his second letter to the Corinthians. There's a lot of dispute amongst the scholars. Was there another letter in between, or perhaps in two? Um, and we needn't worry about that. They talk about the lost letter. Well, we've got one that wasn't lost, and it's the one that we can look at. All right? And you remember that um, Paul, uh, the first letter to the Corinthians, is a very difficult letter because Paul is the headmaster, if you like, telling them off. There's so much wrong there in this little church. I mean, to be honest, it's a real mixed bag, rag bag, bobtail kind of church. All kinds of people uh, have come to faith. Praise God for that. There's a list of them, if you want to read it. I think it's 1 Corinthians 6. Of the kind of people they were, they're the worst scum of the earth. These people in this, in this, in this um, dock, um, harbor type of place, docks type of place, the worst people of the world came there and congregated there. And in fact, they had such a reputation in Corinth that if you wanted to say somebody was really bad, you'd say, oh, he's a Corinthian. All right? It was a nickname for somebody who was really bad in, in all kinds of ways. And yet God in his sovereign grace saved them. Many of them were ordinary and poor backgrounds and everything. He saved them, brought them in the church, and it was wonderful. But you can imagine the mass of these folk being there and all kinds of stuff was going on even after they'd been converted. And so Paul has to write and sort them out. There was too many factions there, too many personality clashes. This one said, I follow Paul, I follow Paul, I follow this, I follow, I follow him, I follow him. And he said, listen, go sort it out. Christ, Christ is the head of the church. He's the most important one. And you're talking about these people and these personalities. He has to sort these out. And so many things, the immorality was there. This man was having an affair with his stepmother and they hadn't done anything about it. He said, go sort that out, sort him out. And then what kind of problems with spiritual gifts? Sort it out. Let everything be done decently in order. Sort it out. And even the communion. They were getting drunk at the communion. Said, What's the matter with you people? And all these problems and really comes down heavy-handed on these Corinthians. Now, it seems as if they took his word to heart and things changed. Things changed dramatically. Some perhaps went a bit overboard. And uh, he's writing now this second letter, not so much as, as the as the headmaster, um, but as as the, the one who seeks to encourage and comfort them and say, "Well done." Now, don't go overboard, right? That man you dealt with, right? You've dealt with him, great. Now you've got to restore him, right? That's the whole point of. Ch- Discipline, church discipline, and chastisement, it's to restoration. That's the end of it. That's the goal of it. Bring him back. If there's repentance, bring him back. And then treat him as one of the family. Now, and there are lots of things that he, he, he is, is a soft, softly, softly approach into Christmas. And it's very personal. He talks about himself and his trials uh, and the difficulties he's had. He says, no, listen, I'm not writing to you as some supersonic apostle. I've known lots of problems 
depression and, and shipwrecks and attacks and persecution. I've been through that. I know what it's like. Some of the things you're going through, I've gone through it. I've nearly died several times. And he's seeking to comfort them. He's seeking to, uh, that they might be encouraged. He's seeking to help them. Now, the sad thing was there were people in Corinth who were still anti-Paul. They didn't like him. They didn't like uh, his message. They didn't like the, the, uh, his, his amenia, amina. They didn't even like his, his statue. He, was, he seems to be a shortish, a shortish broker, right? and he was an orator. Didn't have a nice Welsh accent, all right? Uh, And they say, he's not very good, is he? And you know this man, he doesn't even charge us for his sermons. What kind of preacher doesn't charge you? Because, you see, in the, in the day, they had these orators, these Greek orators, and they'd come, and they'd, you, you'd, you, you'd pay a big fee to hear them. Pay on the way in and pay on the way out. And, and they'd have these, these, these great collections for these great orators. This man comes along, and if I'm going to need money uh, to support him, he'd make his tents and mend his tents. He's not dependent on people. He doesn't ask for money. We can't be much of a preacher if he doesn't ask for money. And they despised him, and he didn't look. He wasn't the most glamorous of, uh, of people, as far as we can tell. So they didn't like Paul. And so the least little thing they could get against him, they would. You know what it is. There are people who, they don't like so-and-so, they don't like so-and-so, and so anything that they do wrong, they blow it up. Oh, what a terrible person they are. Look what they've done. Look what they've been. Look what they've said. To make it look bad so they may look good. Now, one of the problems Paul had, all right, which is from verse 12. Let me read it to you so that you know exactly what we're about. So 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation, that is verbal and by way of life, and more abundantly to you, Lord. For we write none other things unto you than that you read or acknowledge. And I trust you also acknowledge even to the end, as also you have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as you are also ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence, I was minded to come to you before that you might have a second or double benefit, a blessing, and to pass by you into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia unto you and of you to be brought on my way towards Judea. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? Are the things I purposed, do I purpose according to the flesh? That with me there, may sh- there, there would be a yea, yea, and a nay, nay. But as God is true, our word toward you is not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. And all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him are men, and to the glory of God by us. Now he which established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. Not for that we would have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy 
by your faith we stand. Now, here's the problem, which is why I told you my little plans. Paul had planned to go and see them. He planned to go, probably, probably in Ephesus, he planned to go and see these believers in Corinth. He said, I'm coming to see you. I'm coming to see you. And what I plan to do is to come. I'm going to Macedonia. I'm going to come down and visit you on the way to Macedonia. And then I'm going to come visit you on the way back from Macedonia. So I'll, be there, I'll see you twice. Hence the double blessing, uh, double benefit uh, emphasis. So that's my plans. And I said, oh, that's good. We look forward to that. Look forward to seeing you. Good friends are always glad to see you. If they're not so good friends, they're not so glad to see you. But these were friends, he thought, who were glad to see him. But then things changed. Unforeseen circumstances, possibly other things. We don't know exactly why. But Paul couldn't do as he planned. He couldn't see them on the way down. He couldn't see them on the way back. And so he had to make a special visit to them later on. And this little change of plans, of visits caused big problems for him. Now, I would hope that if I ring up my friend and say, listen, I've decided I'm not going to come down and stay with you tonight. I'm going to go a different way. Is that all right? Oh, yes, no problem. They wouldn't be upset. They wouldn't say, oh, fancy that calling, making these arrangements, now can't say, no, we don't. I don't think they do that. I don't think any of them. If I rang Philip Eves and I said, sorry, Phil, I'm not going to stay with you. I'm going to go on somewhere. He'd probably say, well, good job too. Save us the money. Buying your food. That's what he'd say to me because he teases me a bit. But you see, when these people heard that Paul wasn't coming, there was a big fuss. And what they did, they said, you can't trust this man. He's got no integrity and he's got no sincerity. You can't trust him. He might be... Paul, the apostle, and all that. He might be a big man spiritually. But actually, you know, you can't trust him. You just can't trust his word. Now, if that was all, Paul wouldn't be too bothered. Lots of people had said lots of nasty things about him. He, he, he could cope with that. But what he was concerned with was this, that by doubting his integrity and sincerity, they might doubt the word he had preached, i.e. the gospel. Because, you see, well, the old enemy is very clever. He's a master at these things, and he's been doing it for thousands of years. And what he, the temptation would be to say, this man can't be trusted in his visits, the promises he's made regarding his visits, therefore, can he really be trusted in his preaching? Can he be really be, test, be trusted when he tells us things about Jesus Christ and the gospel. Can we trust him? We can't trust him when he visits about his visiting plans. Therefore, can we trust him with the gospel? And that's the concern of Paul. He's not worried about his own reputation. That doesn't matter too much to him. That's not the problem. But the integrity of the gospel matters. The integrity of the, of the word of God matters. And the, the doctrine of God matters to him. And therefore he seeks to justify uh, what he did or what he didn't do. But that's the end of it. That's the end of it. He's concerned. Now, uh, you, if you're familiar with the letter to the Galatians, Paul really has a go at them. Uh, because they were 
changing the gospel, or should I say adding to the gospel, particularly with the problem of Judaizers. These were people, they were Jewish Christians, and they said, right, we've become believers in the Messiah, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you Gentiles, yeah, we're happy for you to come and believe in our Messiah. That's fine. Come into the church, uh, forgive us our sins and all the rest of it. But to be really good Christians, you need to be circumcised. To be really good Christians, you need uh, to keep the dietary laws. To be really good Christians, you need to live as Jewish people live. And Paul said, hold on. That's not the gospel. It's the gospel of Christ plus. And that's not the gospel. And then he really says some stern things. He said, listen. If someone comes to you and preaches a gospel that you didn't hear from me, I preaches another gospel, let that person be accursed of God. I'll say it again. If they pervert the gospel of Christ, if an angel comes, if Gabriel himself came and said another gospel, he is to be accursed of God. One gospel, the gospel of grace in Christ alone, faith alone. And this adding bits and pieces. And, and Peter was, was taken in a little bit by this. Uh, he had some Gentile friends, and when the Jewish mates came up, he even left his Gentile friends and went and joined uh, the Jewish uh, friends. And Paul said, you mustn't do that. You're implying that the Gentile Christians are inferior to the Jewish Christians because you've left their company to join these Jewish Christians. That's not right. That's not the gospel. Jews and Gentiles, one in Christ. And he tells Peter off. He's a big man to tell Peter off. And so we see that Paul is seeking now to justify what he did. All right? And let's be honest, if you make plans, sometimes things are out of your hands. Sometimes they're not. I had some friends uh, ring me up two weeks ago. They come into Eastbourne for a little holiday. Can they meet up? I said, yes, that's fine. Last time, um, Bev and I went with them to, for, for lunch down in Eastbourne. And they said, um, I said, we'll do the same. Uh, yes, that's lovely. So we arranged to meet 12 o'clock um, outside the beacon. If you know where Eastbourne is and the beacon, you'll know the beacon outside. 12 o'clock on um, Thursday. Okay. So, uh, come Thursday... Twelve, quarter to twelve, I'm getting my dinner ready. And I have a text. I tell you what, if there was a providential text, this was a providential text. Hi, Colin. Um, we're running late, uh, uh, but we'll be there, and it's booked for 12.15. Oh. I'd forgotten all about it. I'd forgotten all about it. So, quick wash, quick shave. Jump on the scooter. Down. I'm outside the beacon. They're not there. Where are you? I'm outside the beacon. Well, I'm outside the beacon. Well, you're outside the wrong bit of the beacon, aren't you? You should be down there. Anyway, we get together, that's fine. Now, that was a mistake on my part. I just forgot. I just forgot. I was a good friend, uh, and we arranged, uh, we'd do some work together, and I said, I'll ring you up and confirm such and such a time, and I forgot to ring him up, and he rang me up and said, will you come in? I said, no, I can't. Well, why didn't you tell me? I've got other things to do. Oh, sorry my mistake. Now sometimes we make mistakes but 
this is really up to date. The last few weeks we've had problems with people going sick. Now, if they'd given us a month's notice that they were going to be sick, I'd be fine. But, you know, nine o'clock and half past nine in the morning on a Sunday, it's a bit late to give you notice, isn't it? Because you're sick. But then you can't help that. You can't say you shouldn't have gone sick. You should have come down your... We don't say that. But things happen. COVID. Poor old Bernard and and, uh, his wife, Linda, they've got COVID and so they're stuck in the house and they can't go and do what they wanted to do. Now, we don't know what caused Paul to make different arrangements. And we are, I'm sure, certain that it wasn't because he was capricious and, uh, and careless and couldn't care less and the rest of it. He wanted to see these people. He wanted our fellowship. He wanted to bring blessing to them. But things didn't work out as he wanted to. And these others, they jumped on it. Don't trust him. He's none of a man of integrity. He's not sincere. And he has to combat that for the sake of the gospel. And so he talks in verse 19 about the Son of God being preached. God is true, all right? Here's the answer, back to the gospel. It's always back to the gospel. God is true, all right? Um, we didn't come to you with, with silly words, and we went up and down and, and messing about. Uh, we told you the truth. In Christ, Son of God, Jesus Christ, was preached among you by us, by Silvanus and Timothy, and we didn't mess about yea and nay and nay and yea. This is what we said, and it was true, and it's always true. We haven't changed our minds. We haven't gone off rails, gone diverted anyway. This was the gospel we preached, and we stand by that. It's a very positive gospel. And he has this wonderful verse in verse 20. For all the promises of God in him, in Christ, are yea and in him, amen, unto the glory of God. You can trust the promises of God. You can trust God because God is a God of integrity. God is a God of sincerity. We use in human terms. You can trust what God said and you can trust what we said about God. Because it's the truth. And it's the truth will set you free. And upon the truth you might be established. And he's insistent about the, the positiveness, positiveness of the Christian gospel. Now I thought about this and I thought, you know, uh, there are some who they say you should never be negative about the gospel. You must always be positive. But that sounds spiritual, but actually it's not really biblical. Uh, a few verses came to mind, you know, and I, I, I quote them because you know them very well. Um, you think of this. How negative is this? Romans six twenty-three: For the wages of sin is death. You say, well, that's a bit severe a bit negative yes it is but it's because you need to know it the wages of sin is death that's what you earn that's what you deserve and nothing better that's what we all deserve that's what we get for being sinners the wages of sin is death positive negative but the great thing about the gospel and about this apostle, he doesn't leave it in the negative. 
He goes on then to the positive. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God. So the Bible is full of the, the negative. He that does not believe will be condemned. He who believes will have everlasting life. Negative, positive, negative, positive. Now, some of the trouble with some of us preachers is that we are too negative. We have to be a certain negative, but sometimes we're all negative and there's nothing positive. And that's quite sad. I heard something this last week, a comment um, made about Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones. Not that I've heard every comment, but I hadn't heard this one. But apparently, when he went to Sandfields, left um, uh, the uh, High Street and the practice there with Lord Holder. Holder. He went to South Wales, to Port Talbot, and uh, apparently he preached, you must be born again. And he, it was his great theme. And an old minister heard him one Sunday and said, uh, had a little word with him. I said, uh, Doctor, uh, I think perhaps you should Spend more time preaching Christ than him crucified. And uh, apparently, uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones uh, acknowledged that perhaps that was missing, and so he changed his emphasis. He still told people they had to be born again. Right? That's basic. You cannot tell people that that's not, you don't matter about that, that is essential. But he began to emphasize the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross, the Savior who died for sinners. And it had an effect upon the congregation there. Now, I hadn't heard that story. The story I had heard from a predecessor of his in South Wales called Daniel Rowlands. I've told this story several times, but it it's pertains to the context of which I speak. Daniel Rowlands was uh, the founder of Calvinistic Methodism in uh, West Wales. He was, a, he was a friend, an associate of John Wesley and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield. He was the equivalent, if you like, the Welsh George Whitfield. Same basic doctrine. And he preached law. The law of God. That people had broken the law. They were under the judgment of God. And it had a tremendous effect upon the people in convicting of their sin. And, and they were visibly, uh, actually moved. Many to tears and to weeping. They felt that God was going to blast them into hell at any moment. And someone said to Daniel Rowlands, you know, there is another side to the gospel. That God in love has provided a sacrifice for sin, an atonement. And then he began to preach forgiveness in Jesus, the blood that cleanses all our sin. And the change was dramatic. I hesitate to tell you what happened next because you know you're typical Celts and emotional, but I shall tell you what happened. Uh, recorded historically, that people were so over, overcome with this thought that they who were sinners and had broken the law and, and under the wrath of God, suddenly they could trust in Jesus and be completely forgiven and totally reconciled, and they began to say, "Oh, praise the Lord!" Now they weren't charismatics, but they used to jump up and down. Oh, there were some criticisms. Uh, Bishop of Bath, I think he was, wrote to, because he was in the Anglican Church, of course, 
Mr. Rowlands, you know, you imagine saying, I've heard stories about you, you know, and it's not, doesn't become a gospel in the church, you know, and, you know, you're jumpers, jumpers. And old Daniel Rowlands replied, well, you may think that, he said, but if you knew these people who have truly repented and have come to believe in Jesus and are so blessed in their souls, they can't help. I don't encourage it, but they can't help but just say, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You call us jumpers, jumpers. We call you sleepers, sleepers. Happy to doze in the church. Now, you see what point I'm making? There is the negative, but there must be the positive. There always must be the positive. And Paul is saying, listen, when we preached to you, our message was mainly positive. There were negatives, and you need to hear the negative. If you need to be told off, you need to be told off. We, we mentioned the, the children this morning. I, I assume you realize I was you know, trying to bring them in a little bit. I, I hope that was appropriate. Um, uh, and, and we who have had children know that there were times we had to tell them off. But we, they didn't, we didn't want them to remain at a distance from us. They were told off. But then once they'd realized uh, their mistake or whatever, then we, 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 we gladly wanted them to come back to us and to embrace them and so on. But we didn't want them to do that too quickly. We didn't want to minimize what they had done. But we wanted to be positive. They were our child after all. And we were their parents and we loved them. So Paul, he's stressing the positive. And one of these little verses, which is a little precious gem in the midst of this, um, talking about journeys and back and forth, and didn't go you, and he didn't come and see us. The promises of God are in him, in Christ. Yea and amen. All the promises of God. Do you know the promises of God? Didn't we just speak about God's gifts to us? And, and we read um, some verses from Ephesians where Paul talked about uh, God has blessed us in Christ with all spiritual blessings. And we read a few things there in Ephesians 1. And then I quoted to you from, from Peter uh, where he said, And to us has been given exceeding great and precious promises. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper and a promise giver. God makes promises to his people. Thank God he does. And they're wonderful promises. There are so many promises. We sang that uh, hymn which was based on Psalm, uh, Psalm, I keep saying that, on Isaiah 40. And it's, it's a great chapter. And yeah, I'm sure you, all of you will know it. You may not know it off by heart, but... Uh, you remember it starts by saying, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye, comfort me to Jerusalem, and so on. And then it ends with these famous verses, all right? You'll remember them. He gives power. Oh, let me start at verse 28. Hast thou not known, which is what he sang, hast thou not heard? That the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. And this God, 
who is infinite, this God who is creator, this God who faints not, who neither is weary, this God who has no limit to his understanding, this God gives power to whom? To the faint, the faint-hearted. To them that have no might, increases strength. Is that you? Does that describe you? Describes me? It describes me so often. Faint, weary, no might. Well, here's the promise of God. He'll give grace, he'll give blessing, he'll give power. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord, this Lord, this infinite Lord, and so on. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run, not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Hallelujah. When we first had grandchildren, I could run and skip and play football and do all kinds of things. Nowadays, you go on, granddad will be up in a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, fine, yeah, yeah, yeah. You run along and I'll just sit on the bench and watch you grow and play on the beach and, uh, and throw some pebbles. And... Ah, but spiritually. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew, they shall mount up with wings, they shall run and be weary, walk and not faint. Are you weary? Are you faint? Join the club. But, but this God, he has promised to such as you and such as me, if we wait upon him, he will renew us, he will bless us. Now he which establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. And there's another little phrase and we'll finish on this tonight. Who is his God has sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Now the earnest could be translated as the, the down payment, if I can use such a word. The first installment. It's used elsewhere by Paul in Ephesians. The earnest, uh, the guarantee of what will come, the guarantee of our inheritance, the earnest. God gives us a pledge. And that pledge is not just a promise. That pledge is a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. I have a little illustration I often use, and you've probably heard it 3,000 times, but I'll I'll mention it again. My dear mother used to make corned beef pasties, a corned beef pie, a big pie with corned beef and potato and some carrot and a onion and whatever else was in it. And it was wonderful. Oh, I can smell it now. And we have it for tea. But when anything that was left over, it might just be a little bit in, in, in the dish, She'd make very small little kind of little tartlet type things, only that size, with the same stuff in it, right? Same, exactly the same, the corned beef and the potato and the carrot and the, the onion, and it'd be about that mini size. And she'd say to us, you can have two for lunch, but the rest of it will be for tea. That'll be the main meal. But you can have these little two as a foretaste of what's to come. Isn't that nice? Same, same, that, as that. But this is just for now, to keep you going. 
God gives his spirit as a foretaste of what's to come. Now, if that is glorious as it is, how much more we will fullness when we get to glory. And God will say, you are mine and I am yours. I am all yours. We have very small views, I think, of God and of salvation. And when we see verses like this, and there's lots of them, sometimes I think, you know, who is sufficient for this? I look at this and think, this is, this is a big verse. You need, really need a big preacher to deal with this probably. The earnest of the Spirit is in the heart of every believer. Oh, to experience more of the fullness here and now. To enjoy the little pasties until the big pie. I remember again a quote from Vernon Hyam. He said, you know, some people say, oh, you believers, you, you Christians, all it is is a pie in the sky when you die. He said, well, what a pie. What a pie. What a glorious God, God himself, and the fullness of God will be ours. Meanwhile, we have enough to meet the need to carry us on to his glory and praise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we taught of Paul the Apostle. He was very human. He felt the criticism and the sharpness of his critics. And yet he longed for these people. He loved these people. He wanted that they might be blessed by having a visit from him. That he, he could instruct them in the things of God and the ways of the Savior and the blessings of the Spirit. Oh, Lord. Oh, that we were more concerned for one another and sought to be more helpful to one another and to encourage one another. Yes, there are some things that need to be said sometimes. Sometimes we really need to be told off. But, oh, Lord, we pray that we might know what it is, <coughs> that the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. We might know more of the earnest of your spirit in our hearts and lives and service for thee. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, we're going to sing our last hymn. This is 779. 779. Lord, speak to me, and I may speak in living echoes of thy tone. As thou hast sought, so let me seek thy errant children, lost and lone. Verse 6 says, O fill me with thy fullness, Lord. Until my very heart o'erflow in kindling thought and glowing word, thy love to tell, thy praise to show. Oh, use me, Lord, e use even me, just as thou wilt and when and where, until thy blessed face I see, thy rest, thy joy, thy glory share. Amen. 779.
Oh, speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of thy tone. As thou hast sought, so let me seek thy erring children lost and lone. Oh, lead me, Lord, that I may lead the
We thank you, Father, for the day and the privilege of being here in thy house with your people. What a privilege. Bless us now in coming days, we pray. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and remain with God's people here and everywhere until we meet again or until he shall come and then forevermore. Amen.